Hey friends, this is Holly Goodman, and you're listening to Isaac's Autism Wild podcast, where we focus on topics related to raising loved ones touched by autism and its impact on relationships and family. I'll be sharing some of my personal parenting experiences, raising my son Isaac, who passed away in 2007, as well as an entirely different parenting experience as I now raise my son Caleb, who never ceases to blow my mind with his beautiful autism perspectives. So grab a drink and join me as I interview this week's group of exceptional autism parents. All right. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Isaac's Autism Well podcast. Today, I have my guest joining me so that we can talk about hand fidgets, whether or not we think they are helpful for attention or whether or not we find them to be a distraction. And I think, Tony, I mentioned the other day when we were recording a different podcast that if you would have asked me this question prior to COVID, I would have said, oh, they're worthless. I hate them. I just want to chuck them all out the window. And then I became my children's full-time virtual learning teacher. And all of a sudden, I started realizing how helpful the fidgets are. But now I have become a connoisseur of which ones I feel actually promote learning and which ones I think are a distraction. So I'm really um, glad you guys are joining me because I want to hear what you guys feel and whether or not you guys have any any ones that I haven't thought about or different experiences. So let's go ahead and start with Tanya. Tanya, you were the one that we were talking the other day. How do you feel about the fidgets? Because I know that you you use them, but you are also, you have a teacher background. So I can only imagine from a classroom perspective how that can be challenging at times. So tell me your experience with the hand fidgets. Um, well, my son Logan is 10 with autism. And I actually asked him this question before I came on. I was like, Logan, so do you think your fidgets are helpful to you or not? And he said, yes, except for he can't use Rubik's Cube because he says that one is distracting because then he tries to solve it. You're absolutely right. I find that one to be highly um, distracting as well when I try and use it. So, yeah. Okay. So the Rubik's Cube is the other one, the one that he does find distracting because he's then putting too much muscle into trying to solve it. Yes. Trying to get the colors all the same on one side. Sure. Okay. So now did you like, have you always liked the fidgets for your kiddo? Does he use them in class? Like how does that work? Um, He does use them in class. We started noticing that he needed fidgets when he was probably, we didn't start really using them until second or third grade, but we started noticing like he's a very hand sensory seeker. And he also has a lot of like motor, like putting things in his mouth. So when he was like really like kindergarten, first grade, he used to like suck on his collars all the time in his sleeves and they would be like super wet. And so we needed something, it started off with needing something to occupy his mouth that was better. And so it started off with like getting like appropriate, like things that he could kind of chew on. And then, um, and then we noticed that his hands constantly have to be doing something. And now that I've also been at his at home teacher, one thing I've noticed is if he doesn't have a fidget in his hand, he fidgets with the keyboard on his Chromebook. Oh yes. And so then he ends up accidentally like pressing things because he's constantly playing. If he doesn't have something in his hand, to occupy his hands, fidgets with the Chromebook and the keys. And I'm like, and then he accidentally like exits out of something or I'm like, okay, so he needs to have something occupying his hands or else he will fidget with something that he shouldn't be fidgeting with. Yeah. Okay. So that is a hundred percent. So true. Like if it's not provided or available, then yeah, there's definitely that Michelle, you're nodding through some of this as Tanya is talking about the fidgets. So what are you, what's your experience with the fidgets? So we went through a very similar um, experience where it was constantly wet collars, wet um, sleeves, things like that, because uh, we were chewers too. 
And so we ended up getting some of like the chewy sticks to be able to use, but that's only beneficial in a home setting because you can't typically use those in class without drawing a lot of attention to yourself. And so I found that my kiddos didn't like to use them at school. I tell you, um, school was really great. About, like when you talk about yes. those, those things. Okay. Was it the one that goes on the end of your pencil? No. So these are ones that look almost like an X shape and they're different flavors. So Aiden really liked the one and Jackson, I think I had gotten like a grape one or something like that. And we went through those pretty frequently, but it helped a lot to not ruin clothes. So, okay. So I had, I found the ones that would actually go on the end of a pencil because when you're talking about using them in class, it's all of a sudden kind of more of a stigma. So I was using the ones that you shove, it has, you attach to the end of the pencil. And so then they stick mm -hmm. in their mouth and they can chew on it. The only problem that I miscalculated on that was that they fill with spit. So his teacher came over to, you know, <laughs> to his desk and he's chewing on it and it flung out. It just like he, it just came loose and he must've had it kind of bent and it flipped up and it just like sprayed spit all over his teacher's face. So I was like... So then they're like, can we find something different? Cause that was horrible. And I just have always felt so bad about that. And Tyler's, you know, this was actually Tyler cause he's um, neurotypical, but definitely a sensory seeker. And so she was like, can we find something else? Because I, I never want to experience that ever again in my life. And Tyler felt horrible because it was certainly not intentional. Um, but anyway, so sometimes, you know, they're great tools, but then of course the application of it and how it rolls out in real world was you figure out not, not, not good. So there you go. In my with his, with his, when he would chew on it, he had like one of those like dog tags and stuff, but he chewed on it so frequently that the slobber created a rash around his mouth. Makes sense. Yeah. Because then it almost, it's like, just like almost, yeah, it's like a red rash. Oh, yeah. And mm -hmm. that too. Now that we've gotten older and maybe you guys can um, tell me, but as we've gotten older, the oral need of chewing on something has definitely diminished, but it was in more in early elementary school that we had a lot of trouble with. Yeah my two sensory seeking boys. So now they don't seem to chew on the things. So go ahead, finish your story, Michelle, because um, you were nodding some for some other stuff. So I want to hear what type of fidgets that, you know, kind of what your kids' patterns are uh, when it comes to the fidgets. Well, and for us, we now have a lot of that nervous energy because we're no longer doing like the fidget toys. Like, I, like you said, we almost kind of grew out of that phase of needing to choose, but now it's just kind of transitioned to a different kind of pent up energy. And so school has been really great in having like rubber bands on the bottom of the chairs where they can bounce their feet. And I personally am a fidget person at work. I used to have a kush ball in my desk because then that was something I could play with while I was typing or trying to work through emails or problems or things like that because I need a fidget toy. I'm now just a doodler at work. So I constantly am drawing or sketching during work meetings and things like that. But I, I understand the need for that energy to be able to come out in different ways. So I think at this point, now that Aiden is a little bit older, you know, he'll be in high school next year. He doesn't have necessarily as much of that energy, but he's transitioning that to reading instead. So now he finds reading to be what fills his extra spare time at school, extra spare time at home. Um, I financially cannot keep up with his reading habits, nor any of the other ones that the boys have created, but we're finding really good avenues on eBay for books. Oh, nice. One of the things that um, I, I'm interested because I feel like the reading, when they do like to read, it almost becomes a distraction. I mean, it's a great thing to keep them occupied, but like when they're trying to have to be active listeners, 
in a class because maybe the teacher is demonstrating something. Obviously, reading isn't one of those things because they're totally checked out. That's the one problem is, is that it's a great thing to keep them occupied so they're not causing problems in class when there's downtime. But it's not something that they could be doing while they're trying to be active listeners. And so that's why we've explored a lot of different like hand fidgets. And we are still, so Caleb is in middle school and he still requires a hand fidget like religiously. Um, Tyler, he's done exactly what you said, Michelle. He's now more doing the doodles. So he doodles in his notebook while he's supposed to be listening. And that seems to be like perfect. And it's also socially normal, really, you know, to see someone doodling while they're listening. And I think most teachers are totally fine with them just doing doodles or sketching or something while they're listening, because I think they recognize that. But Caleb's still to the point where he needs like a fidget in his hand. Um, So I guess now the question is, which fidgets do you use? Because I will tell you, the fidget spinners drive me absolutely mad because they make (laughs) And I have used WD-40 on those suckers to try and make them quieter. And you can't. You cannot make those. You cannot. Exactly. (laughs) Like, I just cannot handle the noise of that. I hate them. Oh, gosh, I hate them so much. And so it's no wonder that the teachers are like, they're banned in their classrooms because they were very, like, noise-wise, especially if you have a kid that's auditorily sensitive that can't handle it. I 100% see that those are not a good fidget solution, but I'm with you guys because if Caleb doesn't have something in his hand, his ears turn off. And I, before COVID, I would have told you that like, and because mostly my experience had been those stupid hand fidgets, the which drove me nuts. um, I was like, oh, they're worthless. And I would just throw every single one of them in the garbage. But that's just because of my sensitivities when it comes to that auditory sound. But then when I became full-time virtual learning mom, I was just like, they're hands down. He needs, Caleb in particular, needs something in his hand when he is having to do so much listening on the computer. Because I felt like we transitioned from being in a classroom where they would actually be able to do things and you know have some active learning to basically sitting on a computer and getting all the learning from having to auditorily listen, which is really hard for Caleb because he's got auditory processing issues. My perspective has changed exponentially when it comes to that, just because I have to see my kids and how they learn best. Did you, do you have that same experience? Absolutely. So my parents have been doing all the online learning for me so that I can work. So I've been really hands off when it comes to having to do all of the distance learning. But when my parents had their first um, COVID vaccine a few weeks ago and then had their secondary one on Friday, I stayed back and kind of sat with them while they did their online learning. And it was fascinating. I could have sat there all day and just watched the fact that they can, you know, easily manage a Zoom call, how they're interacting with their teachers, how they're getting their assignments done. Unfortunately, one of my kiddos, because we originally were due to go back to school and then couldn't safely do so. So we had to switch teachers halfway through the school year. And Jackson being newly diagnosed um, just last January, it's been, we were, we loved his first teacher. And so we didn't know how he would do with a new teacher or having to change. Well, they didn't have room for him to go to a teacher pace. So he had to do self-paced learning. Oh. And I was a little nervous because he's my only one that does self-paced learning. I will just say the requirements that they are expecting for students is so low because they're finding that most students are either A, not turning their work in, which is how they get their attendance credits, or B, just not even showing up for Zoom classes. Jackson gets his assignments at 8.30 in the morning and is done by 9. So now we're spent, you know, the next six and a half hours of the day trying to keep that energy 
going. And my dad's like, I can't do this anymore. He's like, you need to send them back. Now, had it been up to me, I would have sent them back months ago when we first had the choice, but my parents were not comfortable with it. And since they do, you know, 99% of this online learning for me, I had to kind of go with their wishes on that. But now he, it, now he's seeing how bad it is. He's like, nope, we need to send them back. We need to send them all back, which is great because I, I wanted them all to go back, but so yeah, I don't think they're necessarily as excited because my now high schooler has to leave the comfortable bed that my parents provide him where he gets to snuggle with cats all day and do Zoom calls to have him to actually go back in person tomorrow. Oh, boy. so, <laughs> so I'm we pick and choose our battles. So yeah, I'm with you. Like, um, I would want to stay home. I mean, it's a double-edged sword because some of my kids are excited about the social connection. And then some of them are like, nope, life is good exactly as it is. And it's Caleb who wants to just stay home and snuggle his dog all day long. <laughs> that's Aiden. Yep. Yeah. And that's just it. Whereas him, that, and, him and Caleb are very similar in that fact. Yep. Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah. I'm a little, Caleb, so far, it's so good. Um, I can't see what he's doing in school to know because we haven't, well, be it, I wrote I didn't actually write fidgets into his IEP um, as an accommodation because it just, I guess, didn't dawn on me. And so it will be interesting to me. His grades have dropped since going back into school uh, because, of course, I was like a one-on-one para for him. And so I was micromanaging everything. And now because he's in the classroom and then when he comes home, so he goes to school Monday, Wednesday, and then he's home Tuesday, Thursday, and it's self-paced, which I just laugh out loud. Ha, 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 ha. Caleb and self-paced. Are you kidding me? Like, those, it just is so preposterous, but those words in a sentence with Caleb's name attached to it. So anyway, with that being said, I can't see what he's doing in class. And then he's also not able to tell me like, okay, so did your teacher go over this assignment and explain it to him? And he says, yeah, we talked about it. Well, what did they tell you you need to do? Well, I can't remember. And so then it makes me wonder whether or not the lack of having that fidget in his hand while they're talking is maybe contributing to the fact that he's not retaining as much as when we're at home and, you know, he can have it in his hand during all of the virtual learning. So I'm thinking we're going to have to re we're going to have to have that conversation because there are definitely ones that I think are amazing. And that's part of what I wanted to do too, is just ask you guys what fidgets you like. I'm with you, Tanya, a Rubik's cube would be terrible because Caleb has to put too much thought in it. The things that I have found like the thinking putty, which is that um, it's really stiff putty where um, you just knead it and you like stretch it out and then you put it into a ball and then you stretch it out again. Those seem to be like amazing. And I was actually, I have actually gotten so like obsessed with just trying to figure out like the fidgets and which ones work for different things that, um, you know, if it's like reading comprehension, the thinking putty, I am all over. Like if he has to listen to someone read to him or he has to do some reading, the thinking putty is great because he doesn't have to look at it to get that sensory need that, um, the, the fidget, you know, satisfaction from it. But if it's something like, you know, having to do like something else, like he's also, he loves using Legos, just a small stack of the Legos and disconnecting them and pushing them back together. He's not building anything per se, because if he was to actually be building something where he has to put some thought into it, then he wouldn't be listening to what's going on. But just a small stack of the Legos in his hand where he can pull them apart and then restack them together has been really helpful. There's other ones where anything that makes a a noise, like I just can't handle it. And I do think that it's distracting because when he's doing some of the things that make more noise, he had this one where it had this like gel inside, but then pretty soon when he would start shaking it and stuff, 
um, cause it would make, you know, noise or it would actually the, the glitter in it would like move around and stuff, which is really visually satisfying, but the sound of it was distracting to other people around him. So I would take that one away and hide it. We also had one where it was a marble in a sleeve that you would just roll the marble to one end and then you would roll the marble back to the other end and it's quiet, makes no noise but just moving the fidget or the marble inside the sleeve to one side and then to the other he likes. And that one seems to be good for things where he's doing like listening comprehension or reading. Um, is there any ones Tanya that you're using that you find to be good? The ones that he's using at home right now are ones I would not let him use at school because at home he doesn't have a bunch of kids around him. And yeah. so like right now he's been using, he has like these stretchy, like, warm like ones and a stretchy like necklace like one but the problem is at times he will sometimes swing it around which at home is fine because he doesn't have any kids around him but at school I can see him accidentally whacking another kid with it yes so totally yeah because there oh, we have one that's like that too it has a little hand on the end so when he wings it around it's great other than you can't have anybody in close proximity but I like it because it's really not loud Michelle, Mm -mm. any that you use? We haven't really been using them a whole lot, but I will say for Aiden, his big thing is flipping things up in the air. And same thing now that we're, you know, on the eve of going back to school, I'm a little concerned, but he has wolf ears that he likes to throw up in the air constantly. And I'm forever getting smacked with them. So I have to sometimes take them away a little bit and find him something else to be able to do. Yeah. And he has that nervous where he just likes to flip and catch things in the air. Yeah. And it's distract, and it is distracting to other people that are around them. And I a hundred percent get that. So one of our uh, teacher friends, she's actually our Isaac foundation sibling spotlight facilitator. She's a teacher and spoken public schools and her classroom is the BI classroom, which are kids that require a, you know, a very, uh, you know, more dialed in behavior intervention plan for her classroom. So she only has anywhere from nine to 11 kids, but she does allow fidgets in her classroom because she does believe that they do help some kids when it comes to doing that higher learning, having those fidgets in their hands. And she has a rule that if it's something that if they're welcome to use a fidget, but the fidget needs to be used in their lap underneath their desk, when it gets on top of the desk and they're using on, on top of their desk, then she considers it a toy. And then they need to have a conversation about, okay, so we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And then you can have a break where you can go and use it as a toy. But as long as they're doing it in their lap underneath like the desk, she's fine with it. And so I thought that that was a really good compromise for the kids that do need them for learning purposes. And so that's what I've been trying to work on with Caleb is, is that if it's in your lap, because also it becomes less distracting if you have it in your lap and it's underneath your desk, because other students then aren't being distracted by the fidget that he needs in order to do some of that listening. So when we go back to school next week, because we had Friday off for a teacher learning curriculum day, I'm going to reach out to his teachers and see whether or not we can come to some sort of an arrangement where Caleb can have some of these fidgets, but as long as he's keeping him in his lap, then, and it's less distracting to the other students and there's no noise because I'm with teachers. I don't like those things make noise and squishy stuff because it does become distracting. So that's what we're going to try. The other thing I think helpful is that we have less numbers, like there's less students in the classroom. So I think teachers will probably be a little bit more flexible um, because you don't have 30 students in a class. You have like 11 or 12. So I'm hoping that will work. What were you going to say, Michelle? Well, I I have a question about the using the fidget spinners under the desk or the fidget toys or whatever, because in Aiden's classroom um, that he was in, that was very... (laughs) 
wasn't necessarily like a behavioral intervention. They called it student connections. And so it was those kids that a lot of them were on the spectrum or ADHD runners, that kind of thing that had, you know, similar behaviors Um, because it was a classroom that was mostly male students that were about, you know, the 11 to 13 range. A lot of them had issues with hands down the pants. Mm-hmm. And so they had to keep hands above the desk. Yeah. So I'm curious, like how that would come into play with like fidget spinners or fidgets just being under the desk. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. Because for some kids, those are goals and things that they're working on. You know, we have um, an older child that um, is severely impacted by autism and you're hundred percent. We are working on just keeping our hands away from that area because you're right. When you start getting into that age range, that totally happens. And I think you just have to, depending on the developmental level of the student, you know, Caleb, I'm lucky in that so far we haven't had to go into that, um, delve into that area yet in terms of, of just, you know, body changes. We're not quite to that point, but you're absolutely right. In which case then I think teachers just have to live with the fact that, Hey, some students need to use fidgets and it's above the desk. Um, just because we're also working on goals of not, you know, having hands in that area because of social appropriateness. And so I think teachers just have to be adaptable as much as it probably drives them nuts. Here's the thing. I'm not a behavior intervention specialist, nor am I a teacher. I am just a mom that was forced to do online learning for four kids for almost an entire year. And so with that being said, if I, not being a professional person, can appreciate the value of a fidget spinner or a fidget activity for a hand, then I feel like it should not be a huge jump for a teacher to understand the value of fidgets for students to be able to do active learn, like listening for comprehension. Tanya, you have experience in a classroom as a counselor and a teacher. So how do you feel about that? I mean, again, I'm not a, I'm not classically trained in any of this. I'm just a survival mom trying to get through this. Like, do you feel like teachers by and large have a, have a good understanding of the value of fidget spinners? Well, I feel like my son's teachers always have been great in understanding. Granted, I will say, you know, part of one nice thing is when you have a child in special education is that their hand teachers are usually handpicked for them. And he's always put with a teacher who is really good about like those type of things. So we've never, ever run into conflict. Yeah. Because his teachers have always been picked. Well, and right now he's always only had, besides a special education teacher, just one teacher. That will change next year with middle school because he's going to have a lot more teachers. And so it will probably be different once he starts middle school because, I mean, there is only so many teachers to choose from. Yes. That will work schedule. Well, and here's what I can't, here's the sad reality is that in our academic career, I have had teachers that are 100% fine and find the value in it. And I have had teachers who have the mindset that they are distraction. And if one kid has it in their classroom, then everybody's going to want it. And so her rule or his rule is, is that he doesn't allow them. Now, with that being said, I will say that these are more gen ed teachers and gen ed teachers kind of, and they were older and their philosophy is, is that we have to make it fair for everybody. And, you know, like if not everybody can have one, then the general rule is, is that we're not going to do it. The wonderful thing about an IEP 
is, is that your child has an IEP for a reason and it's an individual education plan. And I am actually a real big advocate of teaching kids that, you know what, it's not always fair. And what one student needs is going to be different from the next student needs. And I think it's okay to tell other kids that are complaining, well, it's not fair. How come they get it? And I don't because it's life and life is not fair. And so the fastest that we teach, the sooner we teach these children that life is not fair and that we need to acknowledge the fact that what some people need is going to be different because everybody is individualized, the better. I have a story to go along with that, that things are always fair. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. (laughs) Well, so so Logan, one of his, you know, IEP accommodations is, you know, he can take longer on assignments. And I will say sometimes he actually forgets that's an accommodation because he starts freaking out about, you know, I'm not quite done with this. I might have to stay late. His teacher actually lets him go 15 minutes early. But if kids aren't done with things, they have to stay for that extra 15 minutes online. And I was like, you don't have to stay if you're not done because you actually get extra time. And he freaks out about it. Then he asked me a question the other day. He's like, well, does my brother Colin, does he get extra time? I was like, no. He's like, well, how come Colin doesn't get extra time on assignments? So I had to like explain to him why his brother does not receive extra time, but he can have extra time if he needs it. Because he was very concerned that his brother wouldn't get extra time to do things like he does. Well, and you know, we... Like I said, I think it's important to have those conversations. And, And honestly, like... I don't think that's real life if we're not explaining that early. Mm-hmm. Like you're not going to go into the workplace and everything is going to be exactly cookie cutter for every single employee. Like it's not going to be cookie cutter when you're out in public at places. Like it's just not real life. And so I think the sooner we can teach that understanding, like I don't know about you guys, but I still find even as an adult, I am having to educate others on what autism is or how things can be different for autistic children. And so, I I mean, the sooner we can start those conversations early, I think it's just going to be better off for them as adults. I completely agree because, and here's where the problem I think is in society is, is that we aren't having those honest conversations with kids younger. Kids are very adaptable. And the sooner we can instill in them the uniqueness and individual differences of our peers and how we can support them, guess what? Kids will naturally rise to the occasion. And, but here's the problem. If we don't have those honest conversations when they're littler, then all of a sudden we have to have these more challenging conversations when they get older because they've never been, No one has taken the time to explain to them. Um, You know, we talk about just, you know, racism being something. It's not that a person is born that way. It's something that over time, you know, it's instilled just through what they see and no conversations happening about that or explanation as to the fact that it's not okay. And so it's the same sort of thing is, is that you can have biases, even when it comes to people with disabilities. Because early on, we're not having conversations about the fact that, you know, here's, you know, disabilities and, you know, sometimes we, you know, different people need different things and they're individually different. So we have to respond to that, but we don't have conversations. And sometimes Logan doesn't want to always use his accommodations because he actually wants to be more like the other kids. Yeah. And I think that well, we, we just have to acknowledge and let them make those choices. And Tanya, like he's getting to the point where he doesn't want to use those accommodations. And I think we need to let him not use them, but also not stigmatize it. So when he does need them, that his peers look at it any differently. And I think the, the sooner we have those conversations, the better everybody feels about it. Well, we've really worked hard with Aiden on being proud of who he is as a person. 
And I, you know, when he first started in the middle school, I talked to his sixth grade English teacher and was like, yeah, Aiden's least favorite thing is he absolutely hates to write it. You know, we can't get him to sit and do anything. He rushes through every single assignment. Well, in talking to Aiden, we found out, you know, he just, he doesn't like handwriting. Like it, it hurts his hands. He hates doing it. His handwriting is super sloppy. So it's making those accommodations. Well, can he type the assignment? And maybe we can get some better work out of him because he loves to type and he's really great at typing. He's super fast at typing. And I'm sure it has to do with all the games he plays. But, you know, talking to him now, his eighth grade teacher, as he's getting ready to go to high school, he tells me how much he, you know, loves Aiden's writing, how much he's really grown in that. And he loves to see Aiden's perspective because he's very open and honest with people that he has autism. And he uses that in his writing daily to show that his perspective is different from everybody else's. To see that change in just two years time by allowing him that use of those accommodations to be able to type versus handwriting, I think just helps a child grow. Because yeah. let's be real, this shit's hard enough as it is. Like, yeah. Why make it any harder by forcing him to have to handwrite versus typing? Oh, totally. And we use that accommodation and we have since he was in fifth grade and it's been a game changer for us. And again, like I said, we have always taken the approach with uh, school and peers is that we're just open and honest about individual differences. You know, Caleb's more of a PS4 brain. Everybody else thinks more like an Xbox. And so again, they're super awesome, but we just have to have some patience and we have to take the time to help Caleb get caught up if we're doing something that's Xbox related and he is it's not his strength set, then Caleb needs a little extra time to get caught up and people need to, and, and everybody has been great about helping him. I will say sometimes, you know, especially the young ladies of the classroom will actually just tend to do it for Caleb because they're the nurturers of the classroom. And so, and, and that's the thing, which is great. But on the other hand too, then Caleb totally takes advantage of that. Tanya, you were laughing. Do you have that same experience? Yes, because my very first experience with Logan in school in kindergarten was kindergarten was rough. He was all over the place, but he sat next to these two wonderful little girls in his class and he would suddenly bring home work. And I was like, this is so not his handwriting because in kindergarten, his handwriting, you couldn't even read. And these two little girls just thinking they were helping him. They were doing his work for him. Oh, yes, totally. And Caleb is completely happy to let them do it for him. But again, open conversations about, hey, hey, you know, that is so nice for you to help Caleb, you know, but maybe next time you could help him this far, but then have him finish the rest of the way. And again, they get it. If you just talk about it, everybody gets it. And, you know, Caleb really doesn't have self-esteem issues. Caleb doesn't have self-esteem issues when it comes to his autism. He's having some self-esteem issues because of just general puberty and just that phase of life where they all feel uncomfortable and awkward. But autism is not where his insecurities are. It's more of just, you know, your body doing weird things and now you have to wear deodorant and all the stuff. But um, so I'm really grateful now. I'm not to say that we're not to a point in high school because Michelle, you're farther ahead of us um, just in terms of, of being in high school. We're not to the point where Caleb has self-esteem issues yet when it comes to autism. And so we'll just have to kind of deal with it as we get there. But I honestly feel like when we're talking about fidgets and how they relate to being helpful, to be honest with you, I don't know why all kids can't use a stinking fidget. You know what I mean? I don't care if you're new, neurotypical or not. If you want to fidget and it helps you learn, and I don't know why we have to create them as barriers and something that we actually have to specifically write into an IEP, but yet here's the world that we live in where we're having to deal with writing fidgets into IEPs. 
Now, so for your kiddo that's in high school, has the self-esteem issues been something that had come up yet? Yes. So um, Aiden starts high school next year. So we're on the very last little tail end of middle school. And so luckily he is um, able to go back. Hopefully, I'm guessing it's probably going to be the week after next because of conferences. Um, But, you know, we went through um, kind of a crazy situation like at the beginning of middle school where there was a girl involved and texting was taking place and things like that and so we've had to work through we've had to work through a lot of that stuff um just basically stuff he's never encountered before and so I'm a little nervous about the move to high school for next year because even now you know he wears a wolf ear and wolf tails when we go places but the minute he gets into either a public place or something like that, he immediately hides it. And I'm sorry, but I see more kids now dressed in animal gear than I think I ever have in my entire life. And so I'm trying to get him kind of into that. You know, if these are what the things that make you comfortable and to be who you are, then just be that person. Yeah. And we've gone through a lot of, you know, gender questions that have come up in the last, probably the last year of COVID. And there's been some, you know, non-binary conversations. And I think just as he's in middle school and, you know, moving to high school, I think he's just really trying to figure out who he is as a person. And same thing, like you said about Caleb, it's not the autism that, you know, is the downer. I think it's everything to do with puberty and, you know, having to wear deodorant and what to wear and yeah, I think kids are just trying to find out who they are. Yeah, and it's how people see him physically, not how people see him and interpret his autism, which we were all there. And I totally remember, you know, those awkward feelings of, you know, again, Caleb's like, you know, people are looking at me and it's like, you know, people may be looking around and like, you know, seeing you, but that doesn't mean that they're looking at you critically. But Caleb does it. it's just very hard for his brain to process how he's like being seen in the world, but it has nothing to do with his autism. It's all in just body and puberty. So it's not my favorite. Well, I think it's, I think those more high, higher functioning kiddos have more of that invisible disability. And so I have some serious concerns of him moving to high school because I remember high school and it wasn't my favorite time because same thing. I was, I don't think I figured out who I was as a person until I was well into my thirties. And so high school was really tough for me. And so I worry about that with him. And I'm, I'm very happy that his older brother will be there for a few years to kind of overlap with him, just like he was at the middle school when he first started there. And you know, on through those situations where, you know, his older brother did have to stand up for him and, and get involved in some situations. And I've always told them, I will back you 100% of that. If that's what it comes down to, because sometimes people are just not going to understand they, their perception. They actually understand when kids are treating them differently. Like, cause they have that awareness that kids that are maybe like lower functioning don't really have or care about yet. But my, like my son's aware of like when kids say not nice things, he's aware of like, if, when he's treated different, he understands that. And so it makes it harder because he has that awareness. Yeah, we do too. And I am so jealous of you, Michelle, because um, unfortunately my Caleb will be in the eighth grade next year and in, in, it's still at Sacagawea. And then his brother is actually a senior in high school. So by the time Caleb oh. transitions into high school, his two big brothers will be gone. And so you are so lucky that you do have that bridge because, you know, in any, in any other situation, it is so nice to be able to have a sibling there that can run interference that, or, and even can tell you what's going on when you aren't there. Um, Because that's a real value too. And unfortunately, poor Caleb, 
he's going to be transitioning to high school after his brothers graduate. So now with that being well, said, very his very sister will be coming up behind him. So we'll have a couple of years where <laughs> little sister will be there, but I don't know if it's super cool to have your little sister like handling your problems for you because she will regulate, but it's a little embarrassing when your little sister is the one that's coming in there with like, I mean, she is just, she's an ass kicker. And so she has, it's <laughs> she's the scary one of the family, not the boys, but. Well, and I'm, I'm very lucky that, um, Logan just has a personality all his own, but he, my boss and I talk about it all the time. He has a level of confidence that I don't think I still have as an adult. And so he's just a very easygoing, like very quiet middle of the road kid. Like he's just has this assurance about himself or he doesn't worry about other people's opinions of himself. And so he's confident to be able to help Aiden in those situations. And I, I don't think we'd be able to get through this without that. So I, I definitely consider myself very lucky in that scenario that Aiden kind of has that that buddy system at the high school because, you know, the downside with having your be neurotypical is you don't build those same connections with teachers because you're not having to have those frequent phone calls from the school or, you know, having to have those conversations about how your kid might be different than all the other kids in the class. And so I haven't had the same opportunity to build that rapport with other teachers. So as we're moving to high school, I'm like, I don't know who any of these people are or what these these classes are. So I'm kind of having to grasp at straws to find people to connect with because we don't have the same support at the high school that they do at the middle school. Yeah. Well, the one thing I was going to say, you actually jogged my thought process on this is I have thought for many, many years is that, you know, autism and other like neurodiversity is something that's extending. And so there's more and more individuals that are neurodiverse. And so I keep thinking to myself that at some point, won't our kids outnumber the other kids? And so then all of a sudden, you know, like neurodiversity and the thought behind that. And the more people we touch and educate about individual differences, not being less or somehow broken or different, but just neurodiverse, that we're going to have more acceptance as time passes. And so it will be easier and easier as time goes by. I don't know if you guys agree or disagree, but I, I that's my hope anyway. The more we do and educate and the more you know, we get kids comfortable and advocating for themselves. And we are spending the time working with our neurotypical peers just to understand that, you know, unique, it's just unique. It's not broken or something that needs to be fixed. It's something to just accept and, you know, meet everybody at the different levels. And over time, we're going to outnumber them. I don't know if you guys agree or not agree, but I feel like we're going to get there. I agree. All right. Time I just to consider myself the uh, the squeaky wheel at the school. Oh, yes. <laughs> so there are problems or educational opportunities that I will definitely be there to help assist in those scenarios. Well, and I do spend a lot of time taking advantage of being on committees where I'm involved in the high school, the version of the PTO, because I also feel like we need to be, well, granted, we have a lot of activities and clubs. Uh, we need to be sure that we're opening up, you know, those clubs for our neurodiverse population as well, because, you know, sports are great. And some of these real high advanced placement clubs are fantastic, but guess what? I want a club for, I want a Pokemon Go club. That's what I want. Why can't we have a Pokemon Go club or a Roblox? You know, we do. 
That's what I'm saying. Cheney High School has those. They have Pokemon clubs and they talk about it. Like um, when we did Logan's freshman orientation two years ago, they were talking about there's a Pokemon club, there's a photography club, there's Dungeons and Dragons. There's, I mean, they have literally opened it up to every single thing. And so I do appreciate that, but I do the same thing you do because I'm on the, you know, advisory board for DECA. And, you know, while I'm super excited being in hospitality, they're now opening that up for hospitality, but you're absolutely 100% right. Now, as you're talking about it, I'm like, oh, that light bulb moment. Yeah. Do we have any kind of opportunity in the high school for special needs kids to be able to do any kind of interviewing skills? Because I think that does fall under business. Completely. Every one of our kiddos should have the opportunity to go interview. And, you know, what does that look like? Do we have anything like that at the high school level to help them? And I don't think we do. No, we don't. Yeah. I also sub at the school. So I know a lot. So I told Logan, I was like, so I guess I would have to jump from subbing at elementary to subbing at the middle school next year. Yes, you're gonna have to I start the school year by giving out my I give my business card out at the beginning of every new school year to every teacher with my work number, my cell phone number, my work email, my personal email. Here is all of that. So if you have any problem with my children, like you call me first and they're not afraid to make those calls, but it goes both ways, whether it's my kid who's misbehaving because of behavioral issues. I've discovered that a lot of schools like to try to handle it themselves first, but I tell them, I was like, you know, I would rather you call me because I'm close by. I live really close to the school so that if I need to come and help, I don't want my child to get to the point of feeling so anxious that they're beyond the point of being able to calm down. Yes. And so even if it's just you putting them on the phone with me to talk him through it, because he's not able to be talked through with anyone else. I would rather do that than you try to handle it completely and it just gets worse. And I think sometimes they really want to try to handle things in-house, but I'm a parent who would rather be like, you know, I don't want my son to feel like that, that he's out of control. Yeah. And I think it helps as they get cell phones because I've had Aiden, you know, blow up my phone 27 times in a day. And it's like, I got to go, I got to go pick up. And I don't even know what situation I'm walking into, but I appreciate you. Like you said, the school always wants to try to handle it themselves, but I, I do the same thing. I'm, I'm hundred percent available. I only live 15 minutes from work. So like whatever you need me to do, we're there. Yes. I also have found not for my neurotypical teenagers that have um, just teenage behavioral problems that it also helps like when you're like very, open, you know, you, you put yourself out there and you're so involved mostly because of your special needs child, but it translates over. So when your neurotypical teens get into trouble, they'll give them the benefit of the doubt and not call the police. They call it mom first. So there you go. <laughs> You know, there's just all sorts of, yeah, I have spicy teenagers that just like to keep, you know, I, I live in a special needs world and so there's those adventures, but then they like to make sure that I have other adventures as well. So that's super great. We ended up this last week, my kids went back to in-person learning two days a week. So Monday they were there and by Tuesday we were already having problems. It was just like a year hasn't gone by. It's like, of course there's going to be issues. How wonderful. We made it one day, one day. And then, ta-da. So anyway, I love that they keep my world spicy, but um, that's where all the gray hair is coming from, my friends. But anyway, does anybody have any final thoughts before we wrap up this episode? Did I cover everything? Good. Oh, that's a wonderful. Well, I want to thank you guys for joining me and taking time out of your Sunday so that we could get this recorded on fidgets and also just kind of some general, you know, life and transitions and acceptance, because I think it's always good for people to listen to, you know, we are making progress. The more we spend time educating just 
our teachers, our administrators, but also the students that our kids go to school with, I think the better. And it's just going to start changing the public perception and the school perceptions of students that have autism and other special needs. So I think that we were able to cover both of those topics today. So I thank you guys. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode of Isaac's Autism Wild podcast, and we will catch you next time. And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe. And just remember, we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.